0: Welcome to Anesthesia Deconstructed. Science, politics, realities. Listen in as medical professionals join industry experts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez to discuss the latest science and medical advancements, the effects of our political climate, and the reality of today's changing healthcare environment. Let's get started with your hosts, Dr. Mike McKinnon and Dr. Joseph Rodriguez. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Anesthesia Deconstructed. Uh, Joe Rodriguez here, and I have a very special guest today, James B. Lobham, a certified professional accountant who is the owner of Capital Accounting, who does, uh, in full disclosure, does the accounting for many members of my firm, Arizona Anesthesia Solutions, and me personally. So James, James, thank you so much for
1: being on the show. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're excited too. So um, for the sake of the audience, I want to give them a little bit of, of background on you and the scope of your work. We looked over your website, uh, capital acctp com, and it looks like you you have nine different accountants working with you, I think 10 if you include your father, right? And uh, it looks like from your website that you do a fair amount of work in the healthcare space and a number of under, under other industries as well. So why don't you just give a little background about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we do a lot of work in the medical field. Um, different industries, doctors, and as you know, CRNAs and and some other professions, but uh, really specifically, we tend to work with business owners and we do a ton of tax planning. Um, We provide full service for a CPA firm, I mean, financial statement preparation and payroll and tax preparation, consulting and all those things. But really what we're we're excited about, what we enjoy to do is uh, tax planning. So I think that's kind of what brought you guys over. Indeed.
0: Indeed. We're uh, were Allie, Randy, and I, were we the first CRNAs
1: that you worked with? You were the first group of okay. CRNAs that we worked okay. with. You know what's uh, interesting? The interesting thing, though, is because that, that was just being fully honest, is most of the CRNAs that we had worked with prior to you were W2 CRNAs.
0: Oh, okay. That's Wow. That's, maybe they were uh, business owners in some other way. I can't imagine W2 CRNAs Well, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, maybe give an insight. I I can't imagine WGCRNAs have a lot of need for a CPA, generally speaking.
1: No, and that's why I wouldn't say that we worked with a a ton of CRNAs. I would say that, you know, they tended to be, they had some type of special tax situation. You know, it might have been a spouse. So an example was one of them, their spouse was a, they owned a a dental practice. And so, um, but yeah, it was not. It was not the situation that has really taken off recently, where there were a ton of 1099 CRNAs who needed specific needs for their planning. Right, right, and an
0: increasing amount. If you look at the data from GasWork, which is kind of this natural—you might not be familiar with it, James—but it's kind of this natural experiment where um, the majority of advertisements for jobs for CRNA anesthesiologists and physician anesthesiologists go up. It gives us this natural trend. And I've noticed over the past few years, physicians stay relatively stagnant, whereas in terms of their percentage of 1099 positions, whereas CRNAs are increasing year over year. And obviously, you've probably seen that in your business. But what do you think, you know, from your professional view, why do you think that is? Why are there so many CRNAs becoming
1: 1099? For sure. I can tell you what they tell me. (laughs) Sure. Wow. It, I think it comes down to, from the conversations that we have, one of two things, or maybe a combination. One is, I feel like it's allowed more flexibility um, in their positions. But I think even more than that, it comes down to money. There are just a lot of tax savings involved. And also, I mean, from what I'm seeing, there tends to be higher pay for the 1099 contractors. So that mm-hmm. factor of tax savings for the employer, I think, allows them to pay a higher percentage in the contracts that have been obtained. But really, I think the thing that gets them excited, or the reason why they they come into my office, is they say, "I'm I'm making pretty good money, more than I was making before, and I've heard that I can actually take home more by taking advantage of tax savings through being a 1099 rather than being W 2 Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Um, I I want to give my own. <laughs> I, I always
0: uh, tell people that it's more advantageous being for to be 1099, but so I don't want to uh, soil the pot, so to speak. What would you say? on a percentage basis, all things being equal after, you know, interacting with uh, dozens of health or hundreds of healthcare professionals, what would you say is a good number for people to keep in mind, all things being equal, how much more do they take home on average? Is it 2%,
1: 5%, 10%, just as a, a ballpark or maybe a range? Yeah, this is a tough question. And, you know, I joke that accountants always say, it depends. It depends. Sure. For every question you ask, we could come back with, well, it depends, and and the reason why I'm going to say that is because when you are self-employed, you can take advantage of a lot of different tax strategies, which makes the range of savings really large. You know, for instance, if someone takes advantage of certain retirement funding, they may be able to put a large portion of their income into a retirement plan if they have the cash flow to allow for it, which might cut their taxes in half. So, sure, sure. Um, like a SEP, four hundred one, uh, like a SEP IRA or four hundred one k, a solo four hundred one k. Or there are there are plans called cash balance plans, defined benefit plans, their pension plans. They allow you to put a very large portion of your income mm-hmm. into those retirement accounts. It, I mean, you could almost put your entire um, depending on your age and your wage and things. You could put almost your entire compensation into a plan, assuming you have the cash to do it, which would mitigate almost all your taxes. So, with just right. that, that one piece alone, so there really is a wide range. But I. I hear what you're saying is, James, just on average, if we were to say, what do you think you're going to save? I feel like I'm, I mostly see 10% being a really safe, conservative number of savings. Okay. Um, and that really comes from a number of factors. I mean, you have, obviously there's tax savings. And again, it depends on the person's uh, income threshold because mm-hmm. we are professionals. You are considered a professional and so certain things that are available to you, like qualified business income deduction, a 20% mm-hmm. deduction off of income, can phase out when your income goes above certain thresholds. But, but just on average, 10%. And why? Why would I go with 10%? There's a few things. One is you're going to get some tax savings just by being, you know, and I'm hoping most people have set themselves up in the right corporate structure. By just by putting yourself in the right corporate structure, you're going to save some money on... Additional Medicare tax, Social Security tax, income sure. tax. There's there's going to be some savings, um, but the other piece of it is you have the opportunity to deduct business-related expenses that you do not have the opportunity to deduct when you're a W two employee.
0: So yeah, yeah, and all those add up. And what I have experienced uh, working with a professional like yourself is every year we sharpen that process. Right, every year there's a little bit more we can dig into right to really optimize things. James, what you know, you talked about um, having being set up in the right structure. And so many CRNAs are moving from W-2 full time and going to 1099 part-time or 1099 part-time. So I want to ask two questions there. The first is how essential is it that you know it's you know about August, right? And we're gonna file our taxes next year. How essential is it that I have a corporate structure this year? right? Can I form that next year or do I have to have it done this year? And then I'll, I'll touch base on the full-time thing afterwards. But that's my, my first question. How essential is it to have the proper corporate structure and how soon, I suppose?
1: <laughs> um, I'll go back to, it depends. <laughs> so, okay. Of um, course, of course. Yeah. You, you would have made a great lawyer, you know? <laughs> yeah, I should have, right? Um, no, here's, here's the thing. If your income, if you are going to have income this year, if you're going to have positive net income, Mm-hmm. then you want that business, you whatever corporate structure you decide, the one that, that fits you best, you're going to want that in place as early as possible because mm-hmm. those benefits can't be obtained after the fact, or they're not supposed to. I'm, mm-hmm. I would not recommend it. So uh, you you really want that, that in place as early as you can from day one. There are rules. Uh, when you set up uh, an LLC or other entities, there are rules on, how long you have to make elections on how those are taxed. Hmm. And if we wait too long, and really that tends to be a couple of months from when you start your entity, if you wait too long, then you're supposed to wait until the next year to oh. make that election. Interesting. Uh, so now to give your example, you said we're in August, James, and we're close to it. And um what what do we need to do? Well, if you're 1099 for the whole year and you go, I, I'm in August. Is there anything I can do? Well, sure. It's not too late to form a company if you have it and to structure it correctly, but you're looking at benefits from August on. So, so the,
0: the, you're, it sounds like you're looking at benefits from the month that you start the entity.
1: Is that correct? That's correct. You're going to have to get it set up. Your, the money needs to go through the entity. The elections need to be made. So yeah, the month that you set it up will be the month okay. that you start to get those tax benefits. Okay. Taxes. I, I,
0: that's I think it's really important to know, especially for new graduates. I've been 1099 my my whole, uh, just so the audience knows, I've been a CRNA for 10 years now. I've been 1099 that whole time. My first year, I didn't have the pleasure of knowing James and I didn't have the pleasure of tax planning. And I ended up with a $20,000 tax bill. And uh, which right when I was trying to buy a house. And, you know, I don't think I set my entity up nearly soon enough because uh, the folks involved uh, maybe didn't give me the the greatest advice. So that's really practical. So thank you. Um, The other piece of that, so somebody comes out, it's August, right? People are graduating from the program, and uh, they're going to be, quote, full-time 1099. Uh, What are the concerns around that, and how can they be mitigated? Um, You know, I'll share the – when you're done with your first part of your answer, I'll share what we do at Arizona Anesthesia Solutions, and we can just go from there. But what are the concerns around being full-time 1099, and how do we mitigate that?
1: Yeah, I mean – there are gonna be a number of concerns that people will wanna address. And I think there's anxiety around making that switch um, because W2, sometimes there's just less thought that's required and, and being proactive. But um, as far as what I see on my side as being the risk is related to tax and and not setting yourself up properly and not budgeting properly. Um, when you're a W2 employee, uh, you know those taxes are withheld and benefits might be paid and, and things are just happening and you're seeing a net check and, and that's what you're taking home and mm-hmm. even though your withholdings might not be perfect, they tend to be somewhat in line. So what I see as as an issue is kind of what you saw that first year that you just mentioned where you, you don't know, someone coming into the industry who just graduated might not know the tax implications of, of being in a higher income bracket. Maybe they did some work before, they had another job and they were in a low bracket and now they come out and, and they got bumped up and they're making good mm-hmm. money, or maybe their spouse is already making money and now they're you know doubling up on that income and they just get surprised. Um, and mm. so I think for me that's probably the biggest thing now in in conjunction with that I would say another issue is there's just there the mistakes of hey I, I'm making good money now and and I'm not thinking about really what my take home is and also what I'm going to be doing with that. Should I be putting money into retirement? I'm not a W-2 employee anymore and I don't have an employer setting money aside in a match. That's okay. There are ways that you can actually put more into retirement than you could have before mm. with really great tax benefits of doing that. But it tends to be an after the fact, you know, people don't think about that from the very beginning. Um,
0: right. Okay. Yeah. T- I, I hear your preference for planning to avoid errors, costly errors, you know, when you're talking about planning, right, and doing things the right way. You know, we talked uh, a little bit about people coming out of their program, not setting things up correctly. What, in your experience, whether it's CRNAs or other types of healthcare professionals, what is the most common mistake that you've seen people make coming out, trying to be 1099, and they end up calling you and saying, James, I screwed up bigly, and uh, yeah, I did use the word bigly. That's B-I-G-L-Y for everyone listening. And uh, I screwed up big time. How, how do I fix it? What's the most common mistake you've
1: seen? Oh, I would say probably the most common is they individuals tend to get some pretty good advice, whether they read it online or maybe they heard it somewhere, and they try to implement things um, like structures, corporate structures, set up their own entities or, or whatnot, and it just wasn't done correctly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that tends to be the one because you will you will experience a lower tax rate almost always when you when you go 1099 and you structure yourself correctly. Um, what I tend to see is you get to you get to the time to prepare your tax return and you, and you go, oh boy, I thought I was structured correctly. I might mm-hmm. even have paid somebody to structure me correctly, and they didn't do all the forms that were needed, or they were never um, accepted, and then you know, that what we saved for taxes, because we were assuming a certain rate is no longer the rate. Um, And that, that tends to happen. I would say it's pretty frequent when I see someone who's already set up their own company and comes at the beginning of the year and didn't have a conversation prior. Um, Other than that, I mean, after the fact, there's still a lot of things that can be done. So I don't see a ton of mistakes. I mean, people tend to miss expenses. They -hmm. don't set up the right funding maybe they don't pay themselves if they have let's say they do an s corporation and they there's required required to pay themselves a reasonable compensation and they don't and that can cause issues either with the irs or with them overpaying their taxes so those are some other mistakes that i've seen but i'd say the most common is just for new individuals is, is not setting things up right from the beginning
0: okay uh, very good i i think there's so much it's it's interesting how the nature of communication has changed. It moves so much faster now. And it seems like every week, I'm seeing three, four posts about I have X problem or I have X question about being 1099. And I think it's increasingly common even for um, the residents who graduate out of our programs. Um, so I uh, talked a lot about new people coming out of their programs, right? And we talked a, a fair bit about structuring things correctly. Am I wrong in thinking that it is common to have a a structure whereby you have a PLLC or an LLC, and that is the company that you own, right? And then the money flows into that company, let's say a quarter million dollars, and then you pay yourself as an employee of that company, right, is that, I think that structure is fairly common in the community from what I've seen. Is that structure common throughout the rest of the medical community in your experience?
1: It is um, where you tend to to see that in other parts of the medical profession is I feel like there's a lot of doctors um, yeah. who who will have practices that are set up as partnerships. Uh, so yeah, I do have some doctors that are directly 1099, and I see that. But more common what we see is a doctor that's a member of a partnership and they all have a similar situation, except their partnership is owned by their S corporation. And then the S corporation pays a wage, very similar to the other structure where you get a 1099 to your S corporation and you pay a wage from the S corporation.
0: Okay, got it. Yeah, that um, in full disclosure, uh, this is why I am so glad to work with you because my uh, it's it takes a fair amount of mental energy for me to like remember all these different legal terms and, and different tax structures. So I'm really glad people like you exist. Um, right. Yeah. What are, you know, one, I asked uh, some other members of the community, like, you know, what would you ask a a CPA if you were interviewing them on a podcast? And one of the questions they asked was, what are some things that medical professionals try to write off, but should not write
1: off? Which I thought was a a good question. That is a good question. I think that, I'm just trying to think of a way to, to put this that would make sense. Um, now, I can put it another way. Where do medical <laughs>
0: professionals try to cheat the government where they should not cheat the government? And that, and that,
1: that's what I was trying to be nice about. I don't oh, yeah. I don't see most people necessarily cheating. I think it's just bad information uh, for the most part. I'm not saying that every individual is perfect, but I assume people you know are good-natured. And I think oftentimes things either get said, read, or interpreted, and it's it's just misconstrued, or maybe one expense doesn't fit all. You know, Mm -hmm. so you might have somebody who has a very legitimate expense, you know, someone who has to do travel and that travel is business related and it it generates a nice tax benefit because they need to do travel. And then you might have someone who, you know, thinks that all travel is deductible and and you go, well, was it business related at all? And how business related was that? I mean, we're not necessarily able to write off our trip to Europe with our family that we did for fun, you know, but that Mm might have been. That might have been misunderstood and sometimes it's even more complex than that because there are rules related to auto and mileage and even home expenses where you know the information is complex i think even for someone who prepares taxes let alone someone who's hearing about it you know third hand or second hand and so um i think that to me is you know people want to save money and they should i mean you should as a taxpayer want to save money and you should not cheat yourself or not write off a legitimate expense. I mean, absolutely. I think for the most part, people think that maybe everything becomes deductible and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, now, mm. if, if, if you were going to say, where, where do people cheat? I, that's, that one's a little different because I'd be like, well, I wouldn't let my clients cheat. Um, but I'd go, right. <laughs> but I'd go, the common ones tend to be personal related, personally related expenses where it's just not deductible. Um, You know, it could be like personal hygiene or golf memberships or, but I think travel is probably one where people, they, you, you want that deduction and and you try to do it and it, it's more complicated or the auto and auto is a tough one, but mostly expenses. The exciting thing about being a 1099 is a lot of expenses that you incur are truly deductible. I mean, they just need to be related to your business and, you know, for business profit motive, (laughs) right? Right, That's and great. that is,
0: you know, that is one of the major points of business, right? Is the yield a net positive profit. Uh, very hard to do in healthcare these days. Uh, so in, uh, you know, James, I really appreciate you coming on. And one of the last questions I have, we've talked about a lot of the upsides, right? You know, the conservative measure of a 10%, which is great, because I usually tell people five to 10%. So uh, I'm glad it's better than I was sharing with folks. Uh, and as well as the, a lot of the helpful information on getting things structured correctly and avoiding costly errors. One of the major downsides though is health insurance, right? And uh, you work with, uh, I would imagine, hundreds of clients in your firm. What is the most common way in your experience? Like if I come into your office and say, I really wanna be 9, but I'm having a real hard time with this health insurance piece, it's very expensive as an individual or it's very expensive as an individual and it's very poor quality insurance it hardly covers anything what are the things that you point them towards
1: yeah i think because again health insurance wouldn't it necessarily be where i'd say my my expertise is but here's sure. the way i i normally see things happening and there's a couple different approaches it's nice if someone is married already because they tend to just go on their spouse's health insurance but if we go this is a single individual coming out of the program they're brand new to 1099 they're you know this is all new and they need health insurance um, I think the best place is just really having a good insurance broker. I know that insurance tends to, to feel cheaper when you're a W two employee. And sometimes it is, but oftentimes that what you're getting in health insurance, the true cost of that health insurance is actually passed on. And it's part of your W two compensation, even if you don't realize it. Right. So the, you earn less because someone is covering that and they're factoring into their overall cost. So when you go out and you say, well, they were only taking you know, X amount of dollars from me for my health insurance as my employee portion of the coverage. Yeah, that's accurate. But they also most likely were paying you less because they were covering part of your health. They factor that in to budgeting and planning and billing. So you know, I think one is there's a misunderstanding of, of the true cost of the health insurance. But also I found that, if you have a really good insurance broker, you you normally can find a policy that's reasonable that will provide good coverage. Um, and when I say reasonable, it, it it really depends on the person because I have clients who go, you know, I'm I'm very young, I Wonderful. I'm not I'm kind of not risk adverse, and I don't mind having you know uh, just a policy that's only going to cover worst case scenarios, and that's going to be a much more affordable policy than something that's going to cover everything and, and lower deductibles. So I think there is a happy medium for most people. And if they have a good insurance broker, I have not found found it to be something where I would say, wow, that's an astronomical price. Um, but I really think you need you need to find somebody who can help you find a policy that makes sense for you.
0: Awesome. Yeah, very good. James, thank you so much for uh, for coming on here. I think... I think this is going to generate a lot of interest because there, there's a tremendous need for tax uh, insights and you, the kind of expertise that you offer. Um, and my very anecdotal evidence, again, is uh, keeping a close eye on professional forums and seeing these questions pop up over and over and over. So if people want to get a hold of you, the easiest way is just to go through the website, I would imagine, capital A C C T pc.com capital accounting pc.com correct
1: yes that's the easiest way you'll find the contact numbers email addresses uh you know they're everything on there you can get all of us absolutely
0: awesome awesome well james thanks so much for coming on you know again if we get a bunch of questions after this like uh, i imagine that's what's going to happen um maybe we'll uh we'll compile a bunch of questions and have you on we want to be respectful of your time and uh again once again thanks so much for being on i appreciate it thanks joe That's all for this episode of Anesthesia Deconstructed. For more information based on today's discussions, be sure to visit us at anesthesia-deconstructed.com. You'll also gain access to our blogs, editorials, and more resources to keep you updated on the science, politics, and realities of today's medical industry. That's anesthesia-deconstructed.com.